We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Rotoviz? Hey, what's up, everybody? It's uh, the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, sorry we missed you yesterday. It was Valentine's Day. Dave and I both had other things to do. Uh, wives to keep happy. Dave, I don't know about you, uh, but Lindsay ended up taking full advantage of the situation. So today, we're, when we're recording, it's the day after Valentine's Day. We wake up early. We're just going to do a pop-in to Ikea. <laughs> a pop-in. Yep. My freaking car was dragging the highway on the way back. Uh, <laughs> she, it was, she had some sort of nesting event, and now I'm going to just be using Allen wrenches for like the next two weeks, I think. How did your Valentine's Day go? Oh, it was good, thanks. Uh, didn't have to make any furniture purchases, which is good, but I can definitely relate to that whole Allen wrench thing. And actually, we recently moved, and my wife got a ton of stuff um, on Marketplace on Facebook. And the thing is, the IKEA stuff, if you don't have their particular like uh, bolts and everything that you need to put stuff back together, it's like impossible to do. So I spent like months ordering all of the specific pieces I needed. It was not fun. Yeah, it's a spe- it's a special brand of hell. Um, <laughs> it really yeah. is. Um, so so yeah, we're pumped to get into this show uh, this week. This is the first time we're chatting since the Super Bowl. Uh, I know we're going to want to get into some thoughts on that. We have a very special guest tonight. Uh, who's going to get us really pumped and ready to go for the 2022 season in a way that we haven't done yet. Um, So Dave, want to give us a quick drop and let's hit a little Super Bowl chatter. So uh, Cincinnati Bengals fans are still probably licking their wounds so close, so close yet again. But the Los Angeles Rams, Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald and the gang, of course, Cooper Cup, favorite of the podcast here and uh you know just absolute monster that drove uh dave and i to so much success this year they come away victorious really special to see you know players who haven't been there before get a ring no matter what you feel about odo beckham jr he's obviously been a great player for you know his career it was kind of neat to see him score a touchdown after the tumultuous year that, that he's had uh and of course you know he tore the acl so just even on the los angeles side so much to talk about there I think the Bengals, uh, their weaknesses were were even further exposed after the first sack of Burrow. 
the wheels really came off. Uh, you know, I think, I think Taylor was in over his head a little bit in that final uh, two minute or one, one minute drill. Uh, what have you, we had some personnel issues. We had some play calling issues. So just a lot going on there, but it was great to see Stafford get the ring. Great to see Donald get the ring. And, you know, if you're Cincinnati, you're just hoping that it doesn't turn out like it's turned out for so many other AFC teams who have been close, not gotten it done. And then, and then they'll go back all the way to Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, uh, and now Josh Allen. I mean, I mean, what's going to happen getting through that AFC championship game, getting to the Super Bowl, and then coming away empty-handed. Uh, it's just got a sting. So, you know, what do you have for us on the Super Bowl, Dave? Yeah, I had a lot of the same thoughts as you. I think that the mm-hmm. one of the most interesting lines to come out of it from a fantasy perspective is going to be what people do with Odell Beckham. Starts off the yeah. game looking good, makes some plays. It's easy to get this narrative that he's back, that he should be sought after, yeah. should be a big yeah. part of an of offenses going forward. Then you have this injury, just another factor that we have to equate into this conversation. So I don't know. You know, it was interesting to see uh, Joe Mixon not on the field at certain points. I'm sure infuriating to some Bengals fans, but oh overall, I thought it was a really fun game. Uh, managed to keep me engaged. Super Bowls have been pretty good, you know. I like looking back when I was a kid. I always thought that uh, there was a lot more that got out of hand, but they've been really good for a while now. Yeah, basically, uh, uh, other than the Tampa Kansas City game, they've all been great. You know, the last decade or so. I uh, totally agree with you there. Uh, last note here on Beckham: I'm 30 underdog. Uh, best ball tournament drafts in already Dave and Beckham was such a big exposure. Um, I was stacking uh, he and Van Jefferson with Stafford. Uh, they're all on discount with cup being, you know, top three, four pick uh, even in half PPR. And I think I was 50% exposed uh, through 30, but you know, if, if we're going to max it out, you know, I still got time to, to correct that. And you know, maybe by the end of the, <laughs> maybe by the end of the season, he gives us a couple of startable games, but nice. yeah, just, it's just really unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's hit another quick drop and then we'll introduce the guest of the night. Oh man. I like that. I like that one. I don't think I've heard. Did you hit the wrong button? Well, no, I just didn't. I didn't <laughs> want to go like back to the, the generic quick drop, so I went with the "Is it time to panic?" one that we haven't used in a long time. Okay, all right. It's not time to panic. It's actually the totally opposite of that. We've got Scott Barrett, uh, Scott Barrett DFB on Twitter, one of the biggest names in fantasy for the past several several years. Um, you know, my buddy. We've been playing Dynasty for you know the better part of a decade together now. I think. And uh, uh, just have had uh, a lot of fun getting to know Scott, uh, both within the context of the game and, and outside the context of the game. So, um, Scott, how are you doing tonight, man? We are so pumped to have you here. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I liked your uh, Valentine's Day st- story. Uh, in, in college, I went on a first date to Ikea. It was my first time ever going to Ikea. Yeah. It was, uh, I just got some girl's number. She's a sculpture major. I'm like, where, where do you want to go on on your, on the first date? She's like, I love IKEA. And it was weird. I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I'll get a good story out of it. <laughs> get to tell it now on this podcast. We we made out in one of the fake showers. Oh wow! Didn't okay. buy anything. Yeah. yeah. That that's better than that's better than my trip uh, was <laughs> for, sure, for sure today. But um, that you know, college was many moons for me. Um, so Scott, this is uh, what year two for you uh, at Fantasy Points. It's just been so cool to see how quickly that brand has grown. You guys are all over serious. You have some really cool uh, coworkers over there 
you know, Wes Huber, somebody that I think uh, both of us, uh, both of us had worked with previously, maybe at Pro Football Focus. You got Cosell over there. It's just nuts. Um, you guys have really been blowing up. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the shout out. Uh, we're running our early bird special. If anyone wants to check that out, I think it expires in a couple of days. So, so act fast on that. Alrighty. Well, um, Scott's here to talk to us about 2022 coaching changes, how it's going to affect the NFL landscape, maybe how it's going to affect the fantasy landscape. He told me uh, that this was going to be <laughs> a monologue, <laughs> a monologue. So Dave and I are going to go into our pensive mode uh, and we're going to give Scott the floor here to wax rhapsodic about all things NFL coaching. Yeah. So when you told me you wanted to have me on the podcast, you said, yeah, we'll just give you like seven to 10 minutes to talk about whatever you wanted. And uh, I was like, all right. So I, I wrote up a monologue uh, and it's, it's, it's on the recent string of coaching and GM hirings and firings. You know, like the analysis I've been seeing on Twitter is like Brian Dable, Mike McDaniel, you know, by Jalen Waddell, Josh McDaniels, Doug Peterson, tight ends, historically smash. I don't have that. I have like more of a deep meta dive into just this very unique hiring cycle. I, I've just, I've been thinking a lot about it. Uh, there's been 13 new GM hires over the past two seasons. There's nine new head coaching hires this year. That's the most in NFL history. Among those teams, this is the Giants' fourth new head coach in eight years. Before that, he only had two head coaches in almost 20 seasons. The Broncos, their seventh new head coach in 15 seasons. The Raiders, their 10th new head coach in 18 seasons. Basically, a new head coach every other year. I think this is not good. This is a mistake. This is a sign of organizational dysfunction. And these teams are putting themselves at a competitive disadvantage. Um, so, so in college, I, I took a political science course that was basically on the irrefutable greatness of democracy as a political invention. There's no homework. There's no tests. Uh, your entire grade centered around a final paper. And as you know, Curtis, as a natural born contrarian, I decided to write my paper arguing the opposite. So I looked for a book and I found one called Democracy, The God That Failed. Uh, in that book, the author argued we should return to monarchical rule, which is in every way superior to democracy. Uh, he made a, a number of arguments I don't really remember, uh, but one I thought was really compelling, which centered around the notion of time preference. So basically, in modern democracies, elected officials will never think farther ahead than their next election cycle. So for yeah. American presidents, yeah. that's for maybe eight years. And so as a result, the, the author argued things like ballooning national debt, runaway inflation. That's, that's not a, a big concern. That's someone else's problem. Uh, I'm trying to get elected. We'll let the, the next politician deal with that. So, so in democracies, leaders are, are myopic, focused on the short term, looting the coffers today at the expense of tomorrow, whereas like a king is focused on maximizing the wealth of his kingdom across the totality of his lifespan or the lifespan of his heirs and beyond. Anyway, it was a weird book. And like, obviously, I, I don't think we should, you know, replace a president with a king. But but that argument stuck with me and and uh, time preference and, and how that relates to this recent hiring cycle. So, so firing a, a, a coach after one or two bad seasons, 
definitely sends a message. But I don't think it's the one that owners would like to think it sends, which is that uh, we don't tolerate losing. We're a winning team. I think the message it really sends is that they're impatient. All prospective hires know that their time frame is short and limited. They need immediate results. GMs then know they don't have five years to turn their team into a juggernaut capable of winning the Super Bowl, but two years to make the postseason, which is a far less worthy goal, I think. Mm. And I think most fans think. And so uh, the best example of a, a team with a, a bad uh, sense of time preference would be the Giants. They, they've had a bottom five roster for six consecutive seasons. And through, throughout that entire period, they never lowered their time preference. It was a bottom five roster trying to win now. Uh, at the very least, it was like a half tank. And there's no such thing as a half tank. They drafted a running back top five instead of trading down. They passed on Justin Herbert, who they had as a generational prospect ahead of Kyler Murray, even when he was a rookie. Uh, and they spent big on free agency. So they're, they're now still bottom five roster is $11 million over the cap. And, and I think it makes sense within what I was talking about before. Dave Gettleman wasn't thinking about what was best for the team when he did that, which would have been sucking for a few years to better position themselves in the future. He was thinking about himself, as all people do. He knew that if he didn't show immediate results, he was going to be fired. So he prioritized small, short-term gains over more significant long-term gains and to the detriment of the team. That's my, that's my primary point. But th- there are smaller ones as well when it comes to you know, impatient owners and, and, and coaching, churning over coaches every other year. Uh, teams with frequent turnover uh, will have a harder time attracting top candidates. Why would you want to go to Denver knowing you have a short leash uh, from an impatient front office when Pittsburgh's had three head coaches yeah. in 50 yeah. plus years. <laughs> and that's true of free agents. Uh, regime uncertainty makes your team a less attractive location. Well, I'd love to play for this coach, but who knows how long he's going to stick around. So I'll go to this other team. And then draft picks as well, like LaVisca Chanel. He looks like a colossal bust, but you know, maybe Jay Gruden and Doug Barone had a unique plan in place to develop him, use his skill set more effectively. Uh, you also might be setting your team back another year from a roster construction standpoint. Yeah. You know, Denver was courting Dan Ken, Quinn to replace Vic Fangio. But what would that have done from to the roster? You run very different schemes. So, you know, it could be the case where you drafted spent big on free agency, all these defensive players necessary to make the Fangio scheme run most effectively, but who might be less valuable to the Quinn scheme. Uh, And then you have to go out and get those players who do fit that scheme. Uh, But beyond its impact on draft capital and acquiring players and free agency, it has a massive negative impact on the players there. Look at the success of Josh Allen. The ownership was patient with the coaching staff and the coaching staff was patient with Josh Allen. They gave him stability and time to develop in one scheme. He very glaringly did not become a top two quarterback overnight. And then let's look back at the Giants. Uh, Daniel Jones, in contrast to Josh Allen, the the Giants front office is still asking themselves, is Daniel Jones good? Because they don't know. Because it's impossible to succeed operating in a different scheme every year with a bottom five supporting cast. You can't ever – get a clear evaluation that way. So it's just a vicious cycle of bad QB play and coaching fires and and you're doing a grave disservice to your players. Uh, And so to wrap it up, I don't think it's a coincidence that the league's best franchises 
have the smallest amount of turnover at the coaching and GM positions. There's some causation correlation issues there, but, but also the best GMs tend to be the most far-sighted ones. Bill Belichick, the GM, always thinking multiple years down the road, minus the infamous Mohamed Sanu trade. He's always looking to better the team in the future. Even when everyone else is arguing he should be win now, he's always looking to trade a player a year or two early rather than a, a year or two late. And so uh, from what I can tell, the, the best GMs, the best NFL teams, the best dynasty players always have the lowest time preference. And, 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 and especially with investors, Warren Buffett, the greatest investor of all time, his quote, our favorite holding period is forever. For one thing, there's less competition as peers are, are rarely looking beyond a, a, a stock's next quarterly earnings, but he's looking mm-hmm. 20 plus years down the road. And so that's true with Dynasty. You know you know how I operate, you know how TJ Calkins operates or Adam Harstead. Uh, I also, I have some more points. I think the owners, I think more owners should be like actively tanking, not paying yeah. a head, co- head coach for losses, but maybe force them to start Tim Tebow at quarterback for a year. But uh, this, this, this monologue was long enough. So uh, yeah, eager to hear your thoughts. Dave, Dave, why don't you jump in? I, I saw you just uh, champing at the bit several times yeah, uh, yeah. there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I agree with a lot of that. I think that a lot of those numbers you shared are pretty staggering when you think about the turnover that we've seen. The other thing mm-hmm. that always confuses me too, is why teams are so quickly to move on from one thing uh, or, or one coach to another coach that perhaps has proven in the past that they are not necessarily a winner or to somebody else that hasn't really built up that much of a resume. So I can understand taking chances on, you know, young coaches that have shown something, but it seems very often like um, just changing scenery is what they're looking for. And it doesn't even matter if it's somebody that has a, a proven track record, which is kind of interesting to one thing that uh, I had a professor talk about one time, which is lots of times big companies, they look for CEOs or CFOs to fill positions that have been at other companies. And they're yeah. very, very resistant to looking for people coming up the ranks. And that's regardless of if these people performed well at other companies. I actually had worked with a CEO who basically brought two companies to bankruptcy and then still got hired at another job. Right, as a CEO to run another company. And it's like, well, at some point, you know, you, you run out of the leash here, you should. So there's definitely some interesting corollaries. And I like a lot of those points that you brought up. Yeah. I mean, by by definition, if you're a CEO uh, who's looking for a job and you have prior experience, we can infer what yes. we can infer how, what your performance has been like. Um, yeah. You know, Scott, I think a follow up question that I would have is, um, you know, how, how can teams make the shift? Because, you know, I, I guess I understand that most of the owners, they don't, I don't know what percentage it would be, but, but I have a sneaking suspicion, a higher percentage of owners than we would care to admit view their team as a business. Um, they, they view it as an investment. Their ultimate goal is not necessarily a Super Bowl. It's, you know, it's profitability and its return on initial investment, which was huge, obviously. I mean, it's one of the biggest businesses that you know you can buy, whether you're part of a, a partnership or not. Um, and so, you know, how do you make that shift? I mean, how do you know if your coach is good? How how do you know three or four years in when you haven't made the playoffs yet, uh, and and your GM is still figuring out the roster? Like, 
what do you like? What do you do if you're the Denver Broncos? How do you become the Pittsburgh Steelers and have confidence that you're on the right track? Yeah. So I, on one hand, I do get some of these teams just constantly looking for the next head coach, next head, like let's see what this guy can do. Let's see, try and find the right guy, and then ideally you have him in place for 20 years. But it's also, you know, uh, like I said, it, there's a lot of trade offs, uh, yeah. dysfunction in the locker room. The players are unhappy. But it's also just like really hard to gauge uh, how effective a coach is or not. But uh, you might need multiple years to really see what happened. Like, I don't think two years is, is, is enough time to really qualify that. Uh, but I, I will say again, I do understand it. And, and part of my understanding with that is what are the two most important positions in football? And I think this postseason was a great representation of that. It's the quarterback position, which is borderline seeker and Quidditch levels of broken the most important by a landslide, like, Give me the top DN, the top cornerback, the top tight end. Is that worth a top five quarterback? I, I don't know. It maybe, maybe not. And then the other one is uh, a top head coach. Like this postseason, it was all the elite quarterbacks, and then Kyle Shanahan, a, a genius offensive uh, mastermind who also called the plays. And so there's asymmetric returns there, and especially if you get a top five quarterback, like a Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. I think Joe Burrow's already in that mix. Uh, or you get a Kyle Shanahan, maybe Sean McVay, Bill Belichick. But then after that, I think it's like pretty, basically like everyone's yeah. almost the same. Like what's the difference between Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't think there's much. So you really want that top five elite offensive genius head coach, top five elite quarterback, but, but that's, that's hard to find. So maybe some of these teams are just, you know, continually taking those chances. The Raiders in, is it John Gruden? We'll lock him up to a 10 year deal. Is it Josh McDaniels? Um, so I, again, I get the reasoning and, and I get you're chasing that, but there's, there's trade-offs with that, everything. So, and especially some of these head coaches, like, I mean, I don't think any of these guys are Kyle Shanahan. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, thank you for, for the topic. Uh, I, th- I think especially, you know, the tie into to dynasty was quite interesting because I mean, we've spent a lot more time talking about, uh, the idea of, you know, if, if you're not in the mix for first, you want to be in the mix for worst. Uh, and there, you know, there's, there's plenty of reasons behind that. And, and you really ought to even take that mentality to the startup, uh, as well. Don't even play the startup down the middle. And, and you and I have done a lot of startup drafts together and, you know, I think that's that's one you know quick little fantasy takeaway that anybody listening to that, that's like, man, how are you guys going? Uh, how are you guys going 50,000 foot level on the 2022 hiring cycle already? <laughs> if you're just looking for the fantasy takeaway. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if you weren't a serious contender in 2021 and you're weak in rookie draft capital, I mean, got to look at your roster. You got to look at your assets and you and, and you've got to uh, ask yourself the tough questions might have to make the difficult trade uh, to get rid of the the high priced mid career veteran, not the guy that's over the hill. You know, you might have to trade uh, AJ Brown already, you know, you know, stuff that's uncomfortable uh, in order to put yourself back in position uh, to win for the, for the long run, because otherwise you're just like all of the NFL teams beyond, you know, maybe that top five or six who are just hoping to get hot one time and have it work. Uh, But you could wake up very quickly and be the Tennessee Titans and have missed your window. Uh, after, you know, outperforming using, you know, an outdated offensive scheme. 
Um, well, th- so this was also yeah. a really interesting Super Bowl yeah. from the sense that this was also yeah. kind of like a dynasty Super Bowl where, uh, like in in your league, Black yeah. Brown, where where I sold out everything to win yeah. now, like this year, if, it, if yeah. I don't get a dime, it's game over. Yeah. And I went to the championship. I didn't win. And then the other team uh, was a lot younger and it's like up and coming, had Jamar Chase. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's yeah. like the Bengals and, and it worked out for them. Uh, but the Bengals definitely easily could have won that game. You know, if uh, Burrow yeah. evades that sack, he hits Jamar Chase wide open, that's game. And so, uh, but yeah, it's just interesting. Like the Rams really are just like a super win now dynasty team, like mortgaging their future. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was interesting and just to, to see that work for them. All right. Well, let's, let's do a, a hard veer into a totally different topic. <laughs> now um, we are going to do as we're going to do for each of the next five weeks with our, our superstar lineup of, of guests. Uh, Scott is just the first of five. Um, he would have you believe that he's the biggest and best and, you know, arguably he is, uh, but we're going to do a two round, uh, a two round draft. Uh, Scott has chosen the one QB PPR format. So that's what we're going to do. Dave and I will be, you know, maybe adding some comments here and there, uh, from the 2022 Rotoviz fantasy football rookie draft guide. Scott may have some chatter that he wants to share about some of the prospects, or we might go through this in record time and just be done. And then you guys can ask us questions and we'll interact afterwards. So um, Dave, let's give us a drop. That's All right. The lightning Scott, round drop you, for anybody that's interested. Which drop was that? That is the lightning round drop. The lightning round. We haven't oh, used many of these in a while, so I'm just bringing them back for fun. Cause we're going to, you know, I, I think- didn't even tell you to check. I didn't even tell you to check the bank tonight and you're all over it, man. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate the professionalism. So Scott, uh, as most of our guests probably will end up uh, quote unquote randomly doing has drawn the one Oh one Scott, the board is all yours. It's one QB PPR. Uh, whose name are you calling at the podium? I don't think I've ever randomly drawn the one Oh one. So of course it's a, of course it's a mock. Um, yeah. So I just want to say, like, I'm here kind of to learn from you guys. I know you had uh, the guide come out. I really respect Rotoviz and, and your opinions. I'm still very early in the process, rough draft with my models. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Traylon Burks. Uh, he was the number two prospect, wide receiver prospect in my yeah. model last year. And uh, I just don't know how he's not my wide receiver one this year. He's 6'3", 225 pounds. He had four times as many receiving yards, six times as many touchdowns as the next closest receiver on his team. Uh, I don't know how he didn't win the Bolitnikoff. I I don't know how he's not the unanimous wide receiver one. So uh, it could change. Again, I have to tinker with my models, but uh, Traylon Burks. Yeah, I think if you just look at him, um, this is one of those things where I got so cute. I mean, he's got a better profile than DK Metcalf with, with similar physical attributes. And I just, I just whiffed on that man. Um, on D I had zero DK exposure a couple years ago. And sometimes, um, the eye test does matter. Like when you look at Traylon Burks, it is just very difficult to imagine him being a flop. Now, maybe he doesn't achieve ceiling. Maybe he's scheme dependent. You know, I've heard a lot of the film analysts say that he, you know, he's not, he's not complete. He's not crisp. Okay. Whatever. Like 
he's so good in spite of that, that what happens if he does start running better routes? I mean, he'll be, he'll be insane. So uh, Traylon, uh, for what it's worth, Scott, uh, is a near consensus 101 uh, of the five uh, guys doing our Rotoviz fantasy football uh, rookie draft guide uh, this year. Um, so this, this is very chalky. We totally agree and uh, very excited to see what his athletic measurables uh, turn out to be next month. So let's give uh, let's give Scott Traylon. Dave, it looks like I'm on the clock for 102. Yes, that's right. Um, can, are you able to update the sheet there? I am. Uh, or maybe I... Okay. No, I'll, I'll, I'll update it. it. All right. Uh, okay, so I, I'm 102 here. Um, I do like some of the other receivers. You know, Garrett Wilson, obviously, and I'm Columbus, Ohioan, and, uh, you know, got to see a lot of him over the past couple of seasons. Um, Drake London is a player who really pops in a lot of the traditional uh, Rotoviz. Uh, sensibilities, you know, young player, very early breakout. Um, you know, he's got got good size, you know, power five, you know, checks a lot of the boxes. But I'm going to go Brees Hall. He's still only 20 years old, won't turn 21 until after he's drafted. This is a very weak running back class. And though I think Garrett Wilson and Drake London are probably respectively better prospects at their position than Brees Hall, uh, at some point in a rookie draft, and this year it's very early, uh, you know, value over replacement in the draft does matter. And and we, we always see, I mean, always, always is strong. Um, we often see uh, running backs provide earlier returns uh, in the rookie season and they get those nice little value spikes, you know, up into the second and third round of startup type value. And uh, you know, that's just hard to pass on that at the one Oh two. So Scott, I don't know if you've had a chance to, to look at Brees much. Um, you know, he, He's very young, obviously, which we like. Uh, he was amongst the most elusive uh, and most effective at breaking tackles, you know, uh, PFFs uh, metrics for elusiveness, et cetera. You know, he's uh, consistently in the you know top three to five range there. Uh, Power five program uh, at Iowa State really was the entire offense. Um, so, you know, a little background there, Dave, anything you want to add on Brees? I know you did a lot of our running back work for the guide. Yeah. I guess the other thing would be, uh, just what we talked about last week that he finished second among the class in breakaway rush score, which is one of the most predictive yep. things that we've looked at at Rotoviz. Uh, so just another yep. reason to like him getting into a range with a lot of these backs that we've seen had, have a lot of success. So I like Brees as well. I know who you're going with Dave's Dave's on the clock with one Oh three. I know who this pick is. <laughs> Yes, this will be Garrett Wilson from the Ohio State University yeah. player that I took uh, a tremendous amount of time in all of the mocks that we did as a staff. For me, it really comes down to what he was able to achieve on such an incredibly talented roster in his time at Ohio State. Looks to have the type of game that's going to be able to translate in a variety of situations at the next level. Really compelling profile when you look at it. Stro uh, score strongly in Travis May's API. There's just a lot to like with Wilson. I will say I am intrigued by Jake London, but at this point I have to give the edge to Wilson. Can't argue with the pick. Uh, can't argue with that pick at all. Um, I think the one thing to note here, you know, with the Ohio State Buckeyes and the recruiting just buzzsaw that they've become, especially at this position. Uh, for those of you that remember Brian Hartline, uh, formerly of the Ohio State Buckeyes and, um, you know, I think several times, at least one time pro bowler in the NFL had at least one 1000 yard uh, receiving season. He is the wide receivers coach in Columbus amongst the best recruiters in college football. Everyone wants to play in Ryan Day's system. He gets the best quarterbacks. So you really have a situation in Columbus where 
uh, some of our our breakout metrics are going to struggle at times. You have to adjust situationally <laughs> for the, con- the teammate context. Uh, it's what we've been doing for Alabama and at times Georgia or LSU over the last couple of years. Uh, certainly Columbus uh, is in the same situation now. So, uh, Scott, we're back to you for the 104, my friend. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm still a little far behind on my wide receiver model, so I kind of don't want to guess at, at who the, the wide receiver three would be in this class. Uh, but I, So I'll take uh, Kenneth Walker, and I'll just say like I've heard a lot of people trashing this running back class and mm. saying it's weak at the top end. The, their models don't like Brees Hall. My model says he's the clear RB1 and like a fairly mm-hmm. high level running back prospect. It really likes him. And then it really likes, or maybe slightly less, uh, Kenneth Walker as the RB2. So uh, feel pretty confident he's the RB2 in this class. So, so I'll lock him up. Yeah, I like it, man. I mean, he really popped this past year. Uh, the transfer was very good for him, obviously, from Wake Forest to Michigan State. And, uh, you know, compared to the other positions in the draft class, you know, th- this is one of those years where, you know, we're probably not going to see a running back in the first round of the actual NFL draft. But there's anywhere from three to five guys, I think, that could go on day two. And Walker is definitely one of them that I would be shocked uh, if he made it out of even the second round. So uh, definitely can't criticize that pick. Walker is uh, uh, highly thought of amongst the rest of our team. Uh, he was a consensus first round you know, rookie in every rookie mock that we did uh, a little bit later on. But you know, once you get past, I think, the top two picks of this draft, the, the tier is pretty deep. Uh, it's anywhere from maybe five to eight players wide after that. So uh, I'm back on the clock at 105. I'm going to go with the guy, uh, Drake London, here. And pass it over to you, Dave. We've already talked a little bit about Drake. Yeah, so this is actually kind of a uh, a bit of a hard one for me here in that I almost want to break somewhat of the Rotoviz mold and go for Isaiah Spiller just because I find him such a young, yeah. exciting yeah. running back coming out of Texas A&M. Uh, but I actually am going to go here with Jamison Williams, who at mm. one point, uh, I don't know if people realize this, actually was a teammate of... Um, the two Ohio State players that are going to go pretty high yep. at the wide receiver position this year in Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Uh, so, yeah, you carried their shoulder pads actually for a couple of years. <laughs> That's true. You so, had to get Alabama to play. Yes, that which is a crazy thing to think about. But yeah, yeah. he went to Alabama in his third year playing collegiate football, 15 games, 1,572 yards. Averaged nearly 20 yards per reception, put up 15 receiving touchdowns and had a receiving dominator of 0.31. That's pretty impressive stuff when you consider the context that he was in. So I'm going to go with Williams here, actually jumping over a player in David Bell that some people might uh, have a little bit ahead Mm. of Williams. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're into that next. After London, I think we're into another little mini tier uh, at the wide receiver position that, that's half a dozen players deep, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's really exciting. And I have a feeling maybe maybe it won't be with this pick, either with the seven or 10 spot. I think I know who Scott might be taking because he we were uh, chatting rookie wide receivers and DMs a, a few days ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, very titillated here to see who he takes at the 107. Uh, I'd assume that guy was was going to go a little bit later. So uh, okay. I'll take Chris Olave. Again, I'm, yeah. I'm still yeah. not very far ahead in my wide receiver research, but he was my wide receiver one heading into the season. And mm-hmm. uh, he, by at least one of my models, uh, he was he's the wide receiver two in this class and the wide receiver one got drafted. Well, he was one of the the players holding Jameson Williams down. Um, and I, I think it's just difficult, you know, when, when you're looking at a, a change in, in quarterback mid-career um, and then all of the four and five-star talent that's coming in, you know, constantly, it's hard to really, um, you know, criticize a player for not, you know, breaking out to kind of that next level. We see this happen all the time. You know, there are players who pop as a freshman and then never really take that next step. It doesn't delegitimize what happened you know, when they're 18, 19 years old, um, you know, the, the classic example that I think of is, uh, is Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, who popped as an 18 year old and then was kind of disappointing, pseudo disappointing for a couple of years after that. And it's just one of the players that kind of proves out, you know, the, uh, the, the youth, uh, the importance of youth in the model. Um, I'm going to go back here, um, to the final running back in our top, uh, I guess it'd be our tier two of running backs. And Dave, you, you mentioned this player at six, Isaiah Spiller, um, requisite size. I think he's a day two lock. Um, he, he's been flying up in some of the, the recent, you know, actual NFL mock drafts recently. I think he could challenge for, you know, maybe even being a top 50 pick, uh, out of Texas A&M. So, uh, like, like the player don't love him. Um, but after this, I think there's a, a, a very precipitous drop off. We're going to see a run on wide receivers and tight ends and maybe even quarterbacks, before we see, you know, other, other running backs in most rookie drafts. So David's back over to you. Yeah. So that's going to bring me now to David Bell, who I mentioned earlier, wide receiver out of Purdue Uh, in comparison to Williams, who I went with earlier. um, A much, well, we'll see exactly where they come in, but he's six two two ten, So a a bigger player, um, as I mentioned out of Purdue, 
really one of the highlights on his resume would be receiving dominator of 0.44 um, in a 2020 season at Purdue. Only six games in that year. Um, overall, though, a pretty strong uh, body of work. 21 receiving touchdowns on his career with nearly 3,000 yards. Um, so he would be the player that I would pivot to here. Of course, as you said, at this point, I start to get a little less excited about the picks that we're going to be making. Well, David Bell, uh, we haven't talked much about him on the podcast uh, yet because he's not, you know, one of those top, top tier guys uh, that we've been reviewing for the last week or two. Uh, but he actually had over a thousand receiving yards in his true freshman season. Rondale Moore was still at Purdue at this time. And he became a Devi darling for those of you that play Devi. If you don't know what Devi is, it's just a version of Dynasty where uh, you actually have access to to college prospects on like a taxi squad. So they're kind of on on your reserve and you spend draft capital on them just like you would a, a rookie instead. And uh, David Bell quickly, you know, leapt into everyone's you know top 12, uh, even after his true freshman year. Um, and you know, he actually has, he's tied for the second best adjusted production index in this class. It's Travis Mays, uh, Travis May and Blair Andrews, uh, new way of measuring, uh, wide receiver production. He's 78th percentile amongst all wide receivers since the year 2000. Again, we're looking for players that are in the 60 per, 60th percentile or above, uh, to have a, a higher uh, chance at a top 24 PPR season. Uh, and, you know, likelihood of signing a second contract in the NFL. So David Bell actually equal uh, to Drake London in, in that 78th percentile too. So this is good value here. And I think, you know, this is a situation where, you know, the top of the class is not being as highly regarded even as the 2021 class or, you know, certainly the 2023 class. And, you know, the 101 is not an equal asset year to year to year. But I still really love the idea of, of collecting first round picks this year, especially, you know, if it's at a discount. Um, and it's because of players like Olave, like Bell, that you're going to get in the second half of those first rounds. So I think that's a great pick, Dave. Scott, we're back to you at the 110. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of weird to me. He's not viewed as uh, a very high level prospect. Like you said, a thousand plus yards is a freshman with. Uh, Rondale on the team and then a hundred plus yards per game the next season, a hundred plus yards per game, uh, his final year, uh, at Purdue as a junior. Um, so I, I think I'm supposed to take Jahan Dotson, but I'll, I'll take the guy you alluded to earlier just yeah. so I can, I guess, make the case for him. And that's Justin yeah. Ross. Um, I, so something I don't really understand is that, uh, heading into this season, he was the unanimous wide receiver one. He was, Dane Brugler's wide receiver one, Lanzierlein's wide receiver one, you, basically everyone's wide receiver one. It's a little understanding, understandable given his early career production and, and efficiency metrics. Uh, and I mean, this year wasn't great, but I mean, the Clemson offense as a whole was a dumpster fire. And more importantly, he played the entire season with stress fractures in his foot. He just had surgery on it. That injury occurred in the preseason. And then the fact that Trevor Lawrence did not look like the generational quarterback he was supposed to be, it's another argument, I think, in favor of Justin Ross being better than, than at least he's being hyped currently. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Justin Ross, I, I feel good about it, but I, I haven't done a lot of research. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, I, nine touchdowns, 1,000 yards as a freshman. That is impressive. It was also like 4.2 yards per route run. I think it's 
top three in uh, PFF College's database since 2014 when they started tracking. And he was, what, 18, 17 and a half years old. So yeah, uh, yeah. just an insane freshman season. Yeah, and, and when we were talking about this uh, last week, Scott, you reminded me that, I mean, I, I was making, after his freshman year, I was making you know comparisons to uh, early collegiate Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, that, that's right. the type of season that he had. That's the type of physique that he had. This is just a very context-laden prospect profile. It's going to be really interesting to see where he starts getting mocked, uh, how much of the, the combine uh, he participates in, I think, you know, will be important for him because he's going to have to answer some questions about, you know, how his career has gone since then. I think there's also going to be a, a, a lot of weight placed on um, the medicals here because, Ross actually retired and unretired from football uh, in college right. due to a severe spinal condition. And so you, you, you marry that, you know, with the other orthopedic issues in the foot um, and then the drop off in efficiency as he's aged, you know, he might be closer to age 29, you know, with this body uh, than age 21, 22, but you can't argue with the talent. You can't argue with the type of prospect he was coming out of high school. And we consistently see, uh, that these five-star guys or you know high-end four-star guys that go to the premier schools, even if they don't actually uh, pop or have a, a fully successful or you know maybe underperform versus expectations over the course of the college career, they still find their way to early draft capital because these you know, the NFL guys know the names from the time these guys are 17 years old and they're in their senior season to high school anyway. So I, I just love that you're making sure that Justin Ross is on the radar of our team here. Uh, we were all fading him up mostly admittedly because Travis may, who's our, our lead Debbie guy, he's just very down on Ross because of the medicals. And, and because of that, I think he spooked us all in the initial, uh, in the initial uh, uh, volume of the guide. But this is a name that I think that we can't forget. Uh, I don't think you'll have to go one ten here until after the actual NFL draft, if he gets the, the, you know, high end draft capital, maybe early to mid round two, uh, would cause him to land in this space. But if you're drafting early, or if you're in dynasty startups that include the rookies in the startup, which is the most fun way to play dynasty, uh, he could be a huge value, like in, in the double digit rounds, mid double digit rounds of dynasty startups. So uh, great pick Scott. And uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to say about Ross uh, the rest of the spring. I'm going to go, um, to a, a gadget player. He doesn't have as good of a profile uh, probably as Jahan Dotson. Um, he doesn't have the the elite high school name um, or, or school of George Pickens, uh, but he's fun as hell. And this is a player that, that I'm going to be drafting a lot. Uh, give me Wandale Ro- Robinson, uh, Dave, and I'll, I'll kick it back over to you. My yeah. model really loves him. Okay, that's great. <laughs> I, I know very uh, little about him. I just know yeah. the model loves him. Yeah. So the, the thing we have to watch out for is in this, it's already so annoying. I don't know. You, you've probably, you wrote so many articles this year, Scott, that you probably haven't um, had the energy or or interest, frankly, in, in looking uh, on the timeline or what a lot of people are writing. But the beats, the beats are just insufferably uh, ranting about, you know, who their team's Debo Samuel will be in 2022. Like nobody else is going to be Debo Samuel. Like he's right. like, he's built like a running back and, and, and moves like a receiver. Like he's so rare. He's so rare. Um, 
and Wando Robinson is maybe 30 pounds lighter version of, of Debo Samuel. You know, he would be much more similar to a Tyreek Hill type of uh, weapon in an offense, but um, you know, not quite uh, as electric, I, I think as Tyreek, but you know, he could take some jet sweeps, but he's, he's not going to line up in the backfield like Debo and, and literally be, you know, the next wide back in the NFL. So Dave, I see you've already keyed in Jahan Dotson there. Yeah, I have. I think to me, this is just the the pick here that makes sense, especially when you look at where some of these wide receivers are projected to go. Looks like Dotson could sneak his way into the first round. One of the places that you see him getting mocked to is Green Bay. So there's a little bit of a separation at mm. this point between him and guys like Pickens. So when I start yeah. to look for my picks in this spot, I'm going to try to find those guys that I think have a chance of getting on the field early. Uh, so I will go with Dotson. Like to, like, I would like for him to be a little bit bigger uh, for normal, you know, like where I normally look for in wide receivers. But at this point, I think he's the pick for me. Yeah, Dotson, 76th percentile um, API, you know, easily clears the 60th percentile that we're looking for and really just a, a click or two below uh, where we saw Drake London and David Bell fall. So again, speaking to the quality uh, that's available here near the one-two turn. Scott, you're at the top of the second here. Yeah, I'll take uh, Trey McBride out of Colorado mm. State. Um, I mean, probably maybe too early for a PPR league, non-tight end premium, but uh, the model loves it. Uh, you know, two big key statistics are best season yards per route run, uh, final season yards per game. Those are, those are two of the ones doing the heavy lifting and, uh, you know, his best season by yards per route run is better than Cal Pitt's best season. His final season yards per game, only 3.5 yards per game off Kyle Pitts. So like a really special prospect per my model and with tight ends for whatever reason, typically, uh, strength of schedule, strength, level of competition, is massively important for wide receivers. You know, the model hates non-power five wide receivers, but for tight ends, it says it's it's really not that important. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel good about it. Yeah, I think in tight end premium, this is exactly where McBride should be going. And I, I think he's going to probably be one of these players that goes at the end of the first round um, to a very good team. Uh, and he's going to he's going to see a, a post NFL draft spike. And, and I think he could end up, uh, you know, by the time we're, we're doing most rookie drafts in May, he could end up in this spot, even just in a traditional PPR league. And I mean, everyone is always hunting for kind of the next cheat code at tight end. There are so few of them. But if you do actually find one that can give you a two or three point you know, per game advantage um, each week, it really does so much for your win percentage. And dynasty, uh, especially because, you know, you can just bank on that every year. So uh, love the pick with McBride. He was a favorite of our team um, at Rotoviz. We always prescribe uh, to building teams around elite tight ends. It's just so important. Um, Scott, I've played dynasty with you uh, long enough to know that uh, you agree with those sentimentalities. And, you know, obviously, you know, you're staying true to the brand. there, taking them at the 201. Yeah, um, I, I just want to say again, like uh, yeah. this is going to look dramatically different for me in like three weeks. Uh, also, the the yeah. model a lot of heavy lifting, especially with tight ends, is athleticism. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts there. I've heard people say he's he's probably not too athletic. No, no, I mean you know he might be slightly more athletic than than Jason Witten, but he's not Vernon Davis. <laughs> he's not he's not okay. Kyle Pitts. Okay. But you right. know we've seen 
you know, I, there's, there's nothing that would scare me off of thinking he couldn't be, you know, a, a, a mid, you know, a mid tight end one um, quickly. I think it's a relatively low bar to clear. Um, and if he lands on a team where he's not, you know, w- when you're Kyle Pitts, you're drafted to be your team's primary weapon. When you're Trey McBride, you're, you're part of the, the complement um, of, of assets on, on the offense. And, you know, if, you know, Dave just mentioned Green Bay, you know, if a player like McBride ended up in Green Bay and Devontae Adams is scaring the bejesus out of the defense on every play, I mean, McBride could eat. So um, I, have, I have no problems there. We saw Dalton Schultz, who's not exactly a world beater, uh, provide plenty of fantasy value um, this year, you know, and and the, the list goes on. So, um, but I do, I do think that's accurate. He's going to be a pretty uh, average um, athlete at the position. So uh, at the 202, I'm going to go George Pickens here. Um, Sean made a comment when we were doing our mock drafts that, you know, things had just fallen a little bit differently. Um, you know, perhaps Pickens would be up there at the the top of the first round and NFL teams may view him that way anyway. Um, so uh, it would not surprise me to see him go, you know, as a top five uh, receiver in the actual NFL draft, despite being what like wide receiver 10 in our mock draft here. So back to you, Dave. Yeah, so I think here I actually will go with Kyron Williams. Um, now, there's a couple of yeah. things that you could be concerned about with Williams. At the same time, he looks like the player that could be the biggest surprise at the running back position of those players that you would have towards the top. Looks to be doing pretty well in terms of impressing scouts. Actually, when you go and you look at where he's likely to be selected among other running backs, this year in taking a look at uh, NFL mock draft database.com, he's going as the fourth running back um, around pick 70. So, you know, we talked about him a little bit last week. He's a Notre Dame product, uh, has decent receiving numbers um, in his final two years in college, which could be something that differentiate, differentiates him a little bit, gets him on the field. So I will be going with Williams. Yeah. Uh, lo- love that. And th- you know, now you're, I think you're past what would be most people's uh, wide receiver uh, tier there. Anyway, you either have to make some sort of sacrifice in terms of uh, program, you know, quality um, uh, or production. Um, and those are not, neither one of those are, are things that, you know, they're not consolations that we, uh, they're, they're not, uh, I'm too tired. I can't think of the word. They're not concessions that we would like to make. Right. Um, this early in the second round. So don't mind you going with the running back there. Scott, you are on the clock at 204. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is way too early, uh, but I like this guy, so I'm going to take him. Uh, Damian Pierce, uh, I just like love the way he runs. Like everyone has a type. His running style is exactly my type. Uh, and I'm, I'm worried he, he might have like a little Alvin Kamara in him, just like the situation because uh, uh, Lance Zierlein loves him uh, and said the fact that he didn't have twice as many touches as he did uh, is a fireable offense for the coaching staff. And that's sort of like exactly what we saw with, with Tennessee and Alvin Kamara, just like gross misusage in a yeah. committee with like, two massive inferiors. And so if I take my model and I basically just like double his, his touches in his final season, it says he's an elite prospect, but otherwise he's, he's pretty far down the pack. So 
Uh, just going to take him just because uh, I watched his highlights and, and thought he was fun. I've got a little bit of a crush on him too, Scott. I took him in the third round um, of every single one of our mocks. Um, so, and, and I think uh, he's, he seems to be a big, uh, a big uh, guy in the film community. Obviously he doesn't check a lot of the production boxes, but I mean, Florida has just been a disastrous uh, situation uh, for, you know, really for everyone going through the program the last couple of years. So, um, and again, you know, with the the relative lack of quality beyond the clear top guys at, at running back, I think, he, I think you will see guys like Williams and Pierce go here. Uh, if you don't pull the trigger early, there's no guarantee they get back to you in the third round. So if you like that back, I think you take them here and, and we're basically in swingers territory. Uh, I am also going to go because I'm worried that Dave will take him. If I don't take him here, uh, I'm going to take a running back and keep the run going. I'm going to take Tyler Algier out of BYU. I love this guy, man. You talk about uh, loving to watch a guy play. So Scott, he came to BYU uh, as a, as a linebacker after being a standout uh, running back and actually played linebacker as a freshman, uh, had a bit of a, a transition year as a sophomore and then just obliterated uh, the competition uh, after switching back. And and he's one of the bigger backs in the class. Uh, just, you know, awesome uh, when it comes to the, to the big runs. Um, and he's one of the, like the elite hustle guys. Like if you, if you're just going to uh, highlight scout players, uh, he has maybe one of the most impressive highlights. It's a situation where BYU loses a fumble and then Algier uh, chases down the corner who has picked up the ball and then strips it back, takes the ball back uh, for BYU. So it's just just one of those players that I think um, I, I just really think scouting departments are going to love. I'm really excited about him. He reminds me a little bit of James Conner from a style uh, perspective. And I think that um, he could provide immense value uh, as, as a dart in the second round here. So Dave, we'll kick it over to you. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead here and take the first quarterback who I think mm. undoubtedly should be Sam Howell. I know other people yeah. at other sites are not as high on Howell, but when I look at this class, he's clearly the number one uh, in a very simple analysis that I do in the guide. I haven't put this into the formal model yet for quarterbacks, but there's three things that I look at. He crushes in all of these three things, comes in at a 96th percentile or better in all of them. And even when I compare him to last year's class in these three metrics, he scores better than any of those quarterbacks last year, which is a very, very strong class. For example, uh, 305 total yards per game, 2.9 total touchdowns per game, and a max adjusted yards per attempt of 11.1. Those numbers are off the charts uh, and he can run too, right? He's got the rushing ability. There's a lot of rushing ability in the class this year for the quarterbacks, but I think Howell should be able to prosper both as a passer and as a rusher at the next level. So I'm fairly excited about him enough to go ahead and take him here. I like him a lot more yeah. than the other backs or the other passers this year. I think he's he's safer. That that was a conversation we were having uh during our, you know, volume one uh uh summit uh meeting, Sam Howell. Um yeah, we uh we think that this guy is not one that you're gonna whiff on. Um there are you know, maybe maybe some people would prefer the the rushing up the overall rushing upside uh of Malik Willis uh and, and the electricity there, but uh, Howell, you know, plenty of rushing ability on on his own, and you know, I, I think you 
properly highlighted a lot of the reasons to, uh, to be in on how I, it's really difficult for me to imagine him not going in the top 15. Um, even if, even if there's not a lot of NFL clubs, you know, I guess salivating over the class. So Scott, uh, you're going to keep the QB QB run going here. Is there a position player that you like? Yeah. Can I actually trade for Tyler Algier? Because, uh, <laughs> I, I, che- I checked him out. He looks awesome. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Especially, yeah, uh, Javante Williams, kind of similar thing, played mm. defense in, in high school, yeah. recruited as yep. a defender. And then uh, 1,600 yards last year mm-hmm. and 1,100 the year before that. What's really interesting is Brigham yep. Young, I don't think, had a running back with over 500 yards for like four or five years before that. Uh, yeah, Jamal so Williams was the last guy. Jamal Williams was the last one. Damn. Yeah. So that's a that's a big positive indicator. Yeah, I'll take uh, Malik Willis. So we, we talked yep. – before about the importance of an elite top five quarterback, specifically the highest end of the spectrum. And I, I really don't, people say, Oh, you don't need to take a quarterback top three, top five in a draft because guys like Mahomes and Josh Allen were found in the middle of the draft. But I, I don't think that's going to happen anymore uh, because I think NFL teams learn their lesson, the underrated upside uh, and nitpicked sort of warts and things like that. And everything I'm hearing is Malik Willis has sort of ridiculous upside, ridiculous traits, but he's very raw and there's all these problems. But I mean, we saw it last year too with Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. Uh, I, I think I think there's a really good chance. And I, I know no one else is, is saying it, but I think there's a really good chance he might surprise us and go top five. And then mm. from a fantasy perspective, obviously, you know, Konami – Konami code all day. Yeah. So, so that's easy. The, the trendy, the trendy uh, mock that I've been seeing is Carolina at three, um, which wow. would, you know, yeah, that would be, that would be something. Um, can't argue with either of those picks. Uh, I think this is a, an area where it makes sense to, to fortify the quarterback depth. And, you know, from a dynasty uh, perspective, if you want to trade, you know, if you want to trade, you know, your, your established backup, uh, to a team that's willing to give you anything uh, and kind of replace it with a rookie looking for that elite upside. Uh, that's, that's something that makes some sense. Uh, a lot of times the guys like uh, Kirk Cousins, who Scott was picking on earlier that show up well in year end fantasy rankings, make for the perfect add in pieces in one QB dynasty league trades um, to push somebody over the top, but they really are not necessarily actually helping you very much. Um, and knowing that you can grab a Howell or a Willis uh, or a Matt Corral, uh, et cetera, um, you know, provides you some protection because there are some other quarterbacks that I think will be available to me at the 23 spot. I'm just going to get the guy that I want to draft. You know, Scott had Justin Ross, just the guy that he wanted to draft. The guy that I want to draft is Sky Moore, man. Love Sky Moore. Uh, second highest API uh, in the class, 88th percentile. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, Travis May uh, left a great, little nugget uh, in volume one of, of our draft guide. This is actually probably going to be the third receiver in recent memory from Western Michigan going in the top 100 of the NFL draft. Uh, Dave or Scott, can you name either of the other two? Uh, I almost Googled it. No, I'm, I'm going to refrain so I don't embarrass myself. Yeah. Do you remember Dave? Sorry. I actually was, was, Hard at research on my next pick, so I didn't even hear the question. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just get to it. So Corey Davis came out of this program. Um, oh, Western Michigan. And, you know, 
Yeah. And, and it was a, a top 10 NFL. I think it was top 10 uh, memory serves. And then uh, uh, Dwayne or D Eskrid, uh, oh, Eskridge right. uh, that the uh, Seahawks just took. So, but Sky Moore's is a different animal. You know, he's going to be a slot guy, huge yak guy. Um, I just love these types of players. Um, just love these types of players. Uh, I, I love drafting wide receivers at the end of the second round. Um, who are either from the big school, but you know, didn't quite pop out or, you know, get, you get the small school guy and take a swing, you know, Cooper cup was available in this range, you know, several years ago, Terry McLaurin, uh, if you want to go the big school route, uh, who didn't really pop in college. So this is, you know, there's a guy kind of reminds me of a McLaurin from a profile perspective, uh, from a big program that's still available here. We'll have to see if he goes in the next four picks, Dave, uh, you are up with pick what 209 here sure so i'm gonna veer off of um some of the picks that i did make when we were going back and making the selections for the guide because i want to talk about a player that we have not mentioned yet and that's kennedy brooks uh who actually put up the highest breakaway rush score of all players this year and has a pretty compelling profile when you look at his body of work through college um in his first year at oklahoma 12 rushing touchdowns, 1,056 yards, goes for nearly 8.9 yards per carry. Um, Not that I care that much about that, but even in college, that's a very high total. An RB dominator uh, as a freshman of 0.4, stayed at 0.4 or higher for the rest of his career. Then in 2021, in 13 games, 1,252 yards, 13 rushing touchdowns, had 10 receptions each season. So... You know, not a player that you're going to expect to profile as a prolific pass catcher, but all around a nice body of work is a player that I have not heard generating much buzz. Uh, it doesn't no. look, though, like the scouts like him enough for him to go very high in the draft. So I actually wanted to bring him up just to see if you had any thoughts, Curtis, as to why that might be or if there's something that's holding people back on him in comparison to what you see when you just look at the numbers. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get it either, man. Uh, he's kind of rumored to be in that undrafted territory, mm-hmm. like late day three or undrafted. So, um, I mean, he, he checks the productivity boxes. Uh, I have plenty of exposure and Debbie have been a big Kennedy Brooks fan since his freshman year, um, you know, stat line and that pro- prolific, uh, Oklahoma offense. So, um, I don't, I think it's great that you took him for the exercise. I definitely don't think you have to take him in this range. Yeah. Um. You were taking you were taking uh Jerome Ford, Ford in this range. Right. Uh. And, and, and Brian in Robinson our, in our draft guide uh, draft. Yep. So uh, it is cool to to get another one mixed in there. There's another running back I can think of maybe that would need to be uh, called in this range. So Scott, this could be your final pick of the exercise, man. It's the two ten. Uh. Who's going to be your Mister Irrelevant tonight? Uh, I'll take Christian Watson. Uh, oh yeah. I'm friends with a film evaluator who watched him at the senior bowl and said, draft him everywhere. He's a top five wide receiver in this class. Easy. Uh, so yeah, I'll just trust my buddy. Yeah. I, he's really gaining a lot of steam. Uh, the, he was not on our radar before the senior bowl. Uh, we actually did not even list him in our top 60 in the guide. You know, we, we pressed to put it out early uh, each year to get the conversation started. And, you know, I think we're, we're always pretty important in terms of helping to form the early ADP. Watson's going to be a big mover in, in volume two after all the positive press that he's gotten. Um, and there are few receivers that offer the combination of, of size and speed that Watson brings to the table. So uh, I don't know who your buddy is, but if, if, uh, 
if his opinion matters enough to you, uh, I think this is the range that <laughs> the range that I would consider taking him in um, as well uh, in the late second. So great picks got there, and I'm, I'm glad that it gave us an opportunity to, to hit the name. Uh, Dave and I will definitely be circling back on Watson and some other senior bowl standouts uh, in the next week or two. Not this to mention, be my, there's, there's oh, a ahead. lot of yeah. articles out there already asking if he is the yeah. next Debo Samuel. <laughs> yes uh yes he he's actually debo samuel's son um little little known fact um so okay here at the 211 there's a couple of different ways that i could go um you know i think rashad white is interesting travis would be screaming at us for not taking him yet um rashad white is just a hair younger than me um i'm gonna pass uh i i you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. I, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna go with Jerome Ford either. Um, I'm gonna go with the high-profile player who's probably gonna get the draft capital and probably gonna bust. Um, but it's just hard for me to ignore it uh, this late in the draft. I'll take John Mechie here, and Dave, uh, you can make the final pick tonight. All right, I like it because that makes it easy on me. I, I had yeah. seen Mechie sitting out there, and I was thinking, you know, I, I should probably go ahead and make that pick now. But I will. I already go. regret it, man. I already regret it. He's like a thirtieth percentile <laughs> API guy. Oh, uh, he's just like always the third or fourth guy at Alabama, even as they kind of churned all the receivers. But um, high prop, high profile program, and uh, you know, I'm mean, using to be day two pick. So what do you want to do? I mean, that's good value here. Right. So I am going to go with uh, Jerome Ford, a player that is going to be hard to pick up what could have been his potential when you start running him through models. Started off his career at Alabama, moved to Cincinnati, first year at Cincinnati, goes for eight rushing touchdowns, uh, 6.6 per carry in a 10 game season but then really smashes in 2021, goes for 1,315 yards in 19 touchdowns, a running back dominator there of 0.71, had the talent to go to Alabama, had to play with a lot of other great backs when he gets his opportunity in Cincinnati, performs really well. As I've mentioned before, I don't really know what I'm doing when I look at film, but when I look at film of Jerome Ford, I get excited. Back it up with yeah. those with those numbers yeah. at Cincinnati, and uh, you know that's enough for me to to be interested in drafting him. All right, well, man, that, that was a fun exercise. It was great to hear a couple uh, hear and see a couple other names come off the board that we haven't seen in the first or second round. We'll have to see how this compares uh, to our draft next week with Danny Kelly. Scott, Danny's coming on the show. Uh, it'll be really fun to see you know who, who he's on in particular in the second round. And uh, for those of you. Uh, who maybe would like a little bit more analysis on these picks, who I think maybe went a little early, uh, who I think maybe was a, a value in this exercise. Uh, I will try to put something on the site you know, later this week in written form. Um, Scott, anything you want to add uh, before we sign off here? No, you're, you're going to write this up? Yeah, I'll write it up, man. All right, all right. Don't be don't be afraid to trash me. Like I said, you know, I'm 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 still way behind on research, but uh, uh, and what, what was my worst pick? You'd say. I, um, I, I think Damian Pierce was just too. I, I don't think you need okay. to take him there. All right. Um, All right. but but uh, if he gets day three capital, it would be totally justified because again, there's just not access to the to the running backs in this class. So you might just be peering into the crystal ball and be earlier uh, than the rest of us. So you know, we'll have to see yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Scott Barra, DFB on Twitter, FantasyPoints.com. That's that's all I got. Dave, anything else, man? 
no, that's it. Just appreciate uh, Scott running through this with us. Uh, fun exercise. Yeah, absolutely. And if you need me, I will be icing my wrists because of Alan Wrench fatigue. Uh, we will be back later this week uh, with more fantasy, uh, with more of his fantasy football podcast. This has been Curtis, Dave and Scott. See you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214 and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. For anybody still watching, I forgot to give the bourbon shout out tonight. I was too excited to talk to Scott. I went with the Eagle Rare because Scott is a rare bird. Uh, thanks again for coming <laughs> on.